This episode is sponsored by Ahrefs. If you're looking for ways to drive more SEO traffic, you need to take a look at Ahrefs. Ahrefs allows you to find and fix technical errors, keyword gaps with your competitors, and internal link opportunities. Many of the best SEOs in the game use Ahrefs, and so do Eli and I. It's a key tool in our work. We've been using it for many years with some of the best tech companies in the world. Check out hrefs.com and sign up for a free seven-day trial. Welcome to episode 11 of the Contrarian Marketing Podcast, where we give you ideas you might not be thinking about. Today, we're talking about hacking your budget to do more with what you have. We had a past episode about recessions, and now we're a little bit closer to the economy being rougher, and we're going to give you ideas on how you can make your budget last longer or maybe even get some more budget. So Kevin, let's talk about something that's been happening because of recession or fears of recessions layoffs. Have you ever been laid off? <laughs> yes, I have. Fun fact, in, in the last quarter of 2022, more people were laid off than when the pandemic broke out in the second quarter of 2020. We officially have more tech workers being laid off than during the pandemic. I strongly believe that this will continue. If you look at the statistics of how many people were hired during the pandemic by tech companies and how many have currently been laid off, you see that the delta is still relatively small. But yeah, apart from that, I had the Pleasure well, let me let me interrupt you. I think yours is more recent. I'll go with my layoff story. But you know, to your point about the layoffs in, in the current tech sector, I think that number might be fake. In the beginning of the pandemic, they used the word furlough instead of layoff, so they got around it. I was working with HR provider, and they were building tools for furloughs. So furloughs basically meant you were laid off, but you still had a job in case the world didn't end. And layoffs means they get to tell Wall Street that they actually got rid of people. So my layoff story, it's not fresh. I've since recovered. I've talked through it significantly in therapy. I was 18 years old and I was working my dream job for the New York Stock Exchange. I was a clerk for a brokerage or a hedge fund or something, but they had a seat in the New York Stock Exchange. And my job, which I don't think exists anymore, was to answer the phone from the clients and then write down an order and bring it to my boss, who was the broker on the floor of the exchange. And he would execute the order and then he'd give me back this ticket and I would bring the ticket at to, back to my little desk standing by a phone and I'd add up all the tickets and then call the client and say, here's what you bought or sold or whatever. And here's how much is remaining. And they did a lot of like buying little snippets. Again, I don't think this job exists anymore because it's all done by computer. And I wasn't very good at doing math under pressure. It happens. You make errors. So every single brokerage on the floor of the stock exchange has this account, which is an error account. So if you make an error in the favor of the client gets it and it pulls money from your error account. If you make an error against your client, you make some extra money. The extra money goes into this error account. So most brokerages have $10,000, a little bit of buffer in there. There were days I was putting in a million dollars into the error account with my bad math. So I didn't get laid off. I got fired, but they wrote it down as a layoff because they didn't have, they never documented anything. They never warned me. So they're just like, they terminated my role and then they changed the job description and they hired someone else in that new role. So I was laid off. That was my layoff story. And at the time it was rough. I was 18. You don't have a lot of dreams when you're 18. And I had my dream job. I had like a jacket. I worked in the Florida Stock Exchange. I had a badge to get into the Florida Stock Exchange. It felt really cool. 
it's really good for like talking to girls with my jacket and my fancy ID. <laughs> and I got laid off and I didn't have the job anymore. But now when I look back on that, I was like the one of the best things that ever happened to me. I did not, I hadn't gone to college because I was like, I wasn't being Wall Street finance, get rich on, in the stock exchange. That forced me to go to college. It forced me to like make decisions. And I think had I stayed in that job, maybe if I'd stayed in that job for like three or four years, I wasn't even making that much money. I was making $24,000. But you know, I got the badge and the, and the jacket. So who knows? I don't know what would have happened to me if I would have stayed in that job. But like, you know, I look back and like, I'm glad that didn't last. I got the experience. I got a good story. The other thing that I really got out of that experience is that jobs are always temporary. They're someone else's job. And I think as you look at a lot of the things people are saying right now about layoffs, and it's traumatic. You tie your identity to a job and some of the people got laid off. We need to do a whole episode on this, but like some of the people that got laid off from Google, they've been there for a decade. Their identity was absolutely tied into this job. Their identity was tied into being a Googler and going to the same place every day. And it gets removed from them and they don't know who they are. And like that is traumatic. So getting laid off at 18, that taught me that like it's not my job. It's someone else's job. I collect a paycheck and one day they may decide that I don't belong there anymore. And I brought that with me to every single job. And that's probably why I'm a consultant today. So that that's mine and I'm grateful for it. But again, I've had 20 years to really get, come to terms with it. What about you? Is yours a little bit fresher? It's a little bit fresher. Yeah. I was part of the Shopify layoffs in the middle of 2022. And there's a long story that I'll tell someday. But essentially, I had changed to the product side before I was on the growth side. And I had changed to the product side. I was new on the team. I did not expect it, to be honest. I've also, to be fair, I've been on both sides, right? I have been laid off and I have laid off people, which both is, you know, painful. Of course, more painful to be laid off. Let's be real here. You're not the victim when you lay off people. It's just a shitty experience, right? And there's no way to make it more pleasure. It's like breaking up with someone or being broken up with. It's just bad and there's no way to to smear lipstick on a pick. Like there are different phases you go through when you're being laid off, right? There's the grievance and anger and then bargaining and then eventually you come to terms and accept it. But I've I'm a I really like reading biographies of successful people. And you will find that most people had failures, severe failures in their lives, and have always been able to learn from that and reflect back on it and then take something away from it. And I've obviously landed softly on my feet, you know, it's all good. It's a business. I think also think that over the last 16 years, we got that illusion, especially in tech, that companies are like families and they're taking care of us. And there's this whole personal thing and that's not the reality, right? They're more like sports teams and you can get fired from a sports team if you don't perform. Or sometimes the sports team just fires you for other reasons. It's not always underperformance. Like, for example, now with the recent Google layoffs, you actually see that it's not many different people have been fired. Some of them, as you said, stayed for 10, 20 years. They probably wouldn't have stayed that long at the company if they wouldn't perform well. Sometimes it's also just functional cuts where you cut a team or a specific function or a business unit that doesn't pay out. So there's a lot of context to this. It's always painful, but the it, it's up to you as somebody who has been laid off of whether you want to make that a win or a loss. Even when you have a setback, it can become a win. That, that being said, I think like something that's deeply connected to the conversation about layoffs and companies that are struggling is just this conversation about marketing budgets or company budgets in general and how right now one of the big themes out there is to do more with less, right? There's so many investors, VCs, private equity companies and whatnot who ask their companies to trim costs to get closer profitability or become more profitable for this current economic downturn and ask them to slash budgets. And so as a result, a lot of executives are being asked to do more with less, which just means they get often less money, headcount, but they have to drive at least the same results, if not more results. In this episode, we want to put together a list of hacks 
for you to hack your budget and to actually how to do more with less. But also we want to answer the question a little bit, like, is that always the right way? Or should you maybe take a contrarian stance to the problem and actually not slash your marketing budget to get a competitive advantage? Yeah, I think that this is a great lead in like really talking about layoffs and understanding budgets. And I think that's the hardest thing for anybody that's been laid off to really come to terms with, but it's a lot easier for outsiders, of course, which is this is all about saving money. And unfortunately, people always get hurt because companies are not people. They don't really care. Like the people probably care. Hopefully the people care. And it's all about the bottom line. If you are in a role and you're giving a limited amount of budget or you're giving very fixed goals, it's really about how do you squeeze out everything you can for that. The big thing that I think anybody that wants to be successful at really maximizing budget and maximizing their effectiveness is you got to understand the motivations of whoever is giving that directive. For a public company, it might be, it goes down to person on the street, the investor in, in Google, that it, they want to want to see that they're more forward thinking and saving money. For a private company, it might be the VCs. For a very small company, it might be the boss, the small business, the owner of the company. So it really comes down to like, how do you position yourself most effectively and utilize that budget so that person is the happiest and feels like you're achieving their goals. It's not about, I saved you a thousand dollars. There was a, there was a company I worked at where the first time I went to PubCon, they, um, they weren't going to send me because it was too expensive. I was at a startup, but we had like $11 million in funding. They weren't going to send me to PubCon because it was expensive. And like, I had to fly Southwest. I didn't even know people stayed in the conference hotel. I thought the rich people stayed in the conference hotel. Like the conference hotel was like, I think Treasure Island, TI. It's like $99 a night, but like that was outside my budget and we had money. So really it depends on like how they look at budgets. And then I, I went over to SurveyMonkey and I discovered that we had like $500 a night to spend in a hotel and no one patted me on the back if I didn't spend the $500 a night. So like that was like, okay, I might as well stay in the win. There's just no reason not to, because if I save the company money, it doesn't come back to me. I'm going to have better experience. Like the win is significantly nicer than TI. I think that's the important thing is you figure out how to squeeze your budget is it's not about saving the numbers. It's about doing the thing that is most effective for the person that gave you that directive. So if you're the CEO and the board told you, do that thing for them. Like show how like, hey, we you were annoyed we spent a million dollars a month on Facebook. We're now spending $900,000. Obviously, you're getting less cash flow from it. But like the point is that was their KPI, spend less money. Or maybe they thought you were ineffective so you can twist the effectiveness budget, but it's not about spending less than a million dollars. So I think that to me has always been the winning formula is understand the motivations of the person giving you this, the squeezing budget direction. Yeah. And you mentioned a really good point here, which is channel efficiency. Right now, especially in the SaaS space, a lot of companies are looking at their payback period, right? So how much money do they spend to acquire a customer and how long does it take for those customers to pay, like to spend enough money with the company so that they can recoup the acquisition costs, right? The payback period. Right now, of course, a lot of companies are trying to shorten the payback period. So they would go from maybe 12 months to 10 months or from 24 to 20 or something like that to recoup that money faster, which basically means that they try to acquire the same customers with less money. And part of that is efficiency, as you already said. You want to look at your campaigns, your ad campaigns, for example, and you want to look at, okay, which actual campaigns drive most customers? Where do we spend more than we get back? And that sounds like something you would do anyway all the time, but it's not true. In the last maybe 15 years, the default has been growth. So just get in as many customers as possible 
you still want to take a look at a payback period, but it's not the deciding factor. Now it's a deciding factor. And so companies are trimming the edges of the ad budgets. They're trimming the fat and they're trying to reduce the spend that it takes to get customers. And one of the kind of the hacks that it's maybe not like this surprising hack, right? But one of the best practices that I noticed is to just reduce the spend on your brand. So especially in Google search or Google ads, companies can spend a lot of money on bidding on their own brand. The net, the, the margins or the net benefits of that are not always that great. And I think now this is a good time to see, hey, what happens when we stop bidding on our brand? Or at least what happens when we cut our brand spend in half? How many customers do we still get versus how many would we lose potentially? Yeah, I think that's great. Like I've seen so many companies, they spend way too much money on the brand, but they just do it. It's extortionist, but they just do it. And they don't really think through it. Because like, oh, we have to bid on our brand. Yeah, they they try to bid to LTV and they, they don't do that. And that's a great point to just like, what happens if you just pull money out of it? I'd say most of the companies I've worked with, 80%, 75% of their spend on PPC is on brand. And pulling that down is a great win. Another hack that I really love. And again, it, this comes down to like understanding the motivations of who's giving you these directions. And it's a no brainer, but it's more of a social hack which is if you've been told that you have a hiring freeze, instead of not hiring people, just hire freelancers. And I feel like it's so much easier to get that approved, even though it could in many times be more expensive. And that's really about understanding those motivations. It's not about saving money. It's about, well, we've told our board, we've told the investors that we're not hiring as much. I don't think there's a chance that companies that went through the big layoffs, Google, Facebook, Amazon, and all the other companies are not hiring freelancers, they're not hiring contractors. There are still jobs that need to be done and unfortunately need to cut full-time employees to make the street happy and to make others happy, to make their budget happy and make CFOs happy, but they still need someone to do it. So they shift that budget over to freelancers. So if you're in a company where maybe you haven't been told there's a hiring freeze, or maybe you just feel that there should be a hiring freeze because there's a concern about the future, just hire freelancers, default to that. And there's you know someone I'm working with on a coaching side and really giving her advice on how to like grow her own career. I've been sharing with her my feedback on how I've been able to successfully build teams off of freelancers because a lot of times there's pushback on hiring full-time. We don't have headcount. We don't have the organizational structure, but they have the budget and they need the people. So you just move to freelancers. When you agree to hire a freelancer and you make the pitch for a freelancer, remind them that it would be ideal if you would actually have a full-time employee. And this is a compromise to have the freelancer. So hiring freelancers, even if they cost more money, that's my favorite hack in the tight budget environment. I want to double down on that because I think there's a lot to unpack. My kind of headline for that hack would be focus. And it builds off of your hack of, of outsourcing more. When I'm saying focus, what I mean is that a lot of times, especially good times, is uh, when you think about the work you do, there's a certain percentage of things that you do that drive results. And there's a certain percentage of things that you do that might not drive as many results. It's just normal. It's like just accumulating some fat. And then after a while, you have to diet down to, to, to increase the share of muscle in your body. I think one of the best, biggest things or biggest hacks for doing more with less is just to refocus on what works and refocus on impact and efficiency. So what that means is, ideally, you as a single worker, can you can do this as an executive with your team. You can ask everyone to track their time, or you can just do this with yourself. I'm actually, I'm tracking my time all the time to see just where it goes, because it's so easy to forget how you spend your time and where you spend it. Like, just imagine every, every weekday, you spend half an hour on Facebook, and then at the end of the week, you have two and a half hours that are like that they went down the drain, so to say. 
and that you could have spent on an impactful project. Track your time, see where your time goes, and then just do less of the things that don't yield results. You can adopt that philosophy as a single person, as a team, or as a whole company. So I think this is the right time as, a, as an executive to say, look, we trimmed down our goals and our priorities, whereas maybe in good times you have five to 10 goals. Now let's do, let's do three or even just one. Let's make sure that everything that we do adds up to that goal, right? We're not doing anything else. It's basically refocusing the organization, refocusing the team, and uh, that can apply to work, but it can also apply to customer segments, right? There are many companies who maybe start with an SMB focus and then they go up to mid-market and eventually enterprise. Those shifts, they can cost a lot of money and, and efficiency. And maybe now is the right time to say, hey, let's refocus on our most profitable market segment or Let's focus on just one market segment. It can also be a geography, right? Where you say, let's not focus on 30 countries, but maybe five. Or it can be vertical, where if you serve several industries, you just go down to one. So it's all about it's all about focus. My, my favorite story about focus is actually about Peter Thiel and PayPal. So at PayPal, Peter Thiel was known for having a very extreme dedication to focus. And he would expect every employee to have a, like, a number one top priority, and he would only talk to employees about their number one priority. Nothing else mattered, really. And it's a great example for how you can force a team, an organization, or a company to really just focus on the most important thing and making sure that that works flawlessly. And if you then have some more time left or capacity, then you can focus on other priorities. But doing more with less really means refocusing. Yeah, that's great. And I think that one of the things that you can learn from recessions is that you should be focused. Even in great economic times, you should still be focused, but they, there's this more this attitude of like, I need more of it. I also like when you go back to the, again, whoever is cutting your budget and you force them to say, well, you've given me less money. I can only do one of these things. Pick. I found two things have happened. One is they give you the priority and say, oh, this is the most important thing. Think, you know, you're glad you gave them the choice because they've chosen what they really care about. The other thing that I've seen happen is, oh, well, I don't like that. You're, you can only do one of these things. Or I want you to do more of them. And they give you back the budget. So again, refining this down and forcing this focus, I think is super helpful. Another thing I, I think is really something to think about now in January, February time, which is your budget may not have been cut yet. We're all concerned this recession's coming, this recession's here. Hiring freezes may or may not have happened. Layoffs may or may not have happened, but you can prep for it. So one thing that I've always done when I'm afraid that the money might disappear is I'll go and pay in advance for things. So Ahrefs is our sponsor for this episode. And I'm sure that Ahrefs would love if you would buy their annual plan. If you're currently on a monthly plan, you can buy their annual plan. And I'd recommend you get their enterprise. I, I love Ahrefs. And it's an awesome tool, especially if you compare it to the hundreds of thousands of dollars you'd have to spend on unnamed enterprise SEO tools. Their enterprise is $10,000 a year if you pay by annually, where it's $12,000 a year, a little bit under $12,000 a year if you pay monthly. If you are relying on their enterprise tool and suddenly your CFO says, oh, we can't afford $1,000 a month anymore for this tool that doesn't really, that we can't figure out how it provides value, show me how having this tool provides us value. That's not a conversation you want to have. So if the budget's there, you can point out to the CFO, oh, I'd like to pay in advance. I'm going to save us a couple thousand dollars. So go do that. Do that with all the tools you have that you're afraid they may get pulled out of your toolbox. Pay for them in advance. Pay for the two years in advance. Sign longer contracts. And then the flip side of this, obviously don't do this to the tools you love. 
But if there's a tool you're not really using, but you'd like to use it and you think it's too expensive, this is the time where you can go back to that tool or software or person or vendor, whatever it is, and say, I have less budget this year. I cannot afford to pay this price. There may be retention pricing available if you just ask for it. Obviously, be prepared. Like <laughs> You can't bluff. You have to be prepared to cut it off and say, well, if I can't afford it, I will not pay for it. Because then if you're caught bluffing, you continue pay, paying for it. You, you lose face and you can never pull this again, of course. But this is a good time to really like just make your stack more efficient. Pay for the tools you need. Get better pricing. Pay annually. Get those contracts out there. Get It could be a lot easier to get a contract signed now before an official freeze goes in than later. You don't want to be in that position of having to choose your favorite tool, your favorite employee, your favorite, whatever it is later on. So if nothing has been cut now, go do it now. Love that. Renegotiate contracts, super powerful. And most companies are willing to talk, especially if you have a larger position with them. So that's certainly a great way to do more with less. Another one that I like and that is a bit more marketing specific is to just repurpose content. One thing that I found is that a lot of times marketers don't think enough about what actually drives results. And there's this interesting 80-20 rule that you find in most marketing data where maybe 20% of your blog articles drive 80% of email signups or 20% of landing pages, 80% of leads, right? It's, it's the whole, whole spiel that you find in almost all your data. 20% of your campaigns drive 80% of the signups. And like one good thing you can do is to just look at or think about how can we repurpose these 20% of our content or pages? Maybe you would create a video out of one of your best converting blog articles, or maybe you make it a podcast episode, or maybe you post on it, you know, about it on social, or you send it as an email campaign or like a drip sequence or something similar. So content repurposing is one of my hacks. And you really want to focus on the few things that already work well, and then think about how can you squeeze more juice out of the food. That That's great. That is literally squeezing things. So speaking of squeezing things, let's start wrapping up. This podcast has been absolutely awesome. And we put so much time into it. I love prepping it. It forces us to think. One area where we can be more efficient is if we had someone helping out on us. Like, what are the what are the things that you're doing every week to like really produce this podcast? This has been a complete learning experience. And where can we be more efficient? Not really save money, spend some money. We need help. We want to spend money. But what are the things that that we need help on? Yeah, so there's a lot of time that goes into pre and post production. Pre production, obviously, is preparing the podcast, doing research, thinking about what we want to talk about. But then post production wise, there's a transcript that goes over to a writer, including a an export of the raw recording of the podcast. So there's a writer that gets some material. We have an editor that gets material that needs all this stuff that comes back to us. We need to review it. We need to create graphics like thumbnails for YouTube. We need to put the email together, upload all that stuff, write an effective title, all these kind of things. So it's a lot of like smaller work. And I've seen the benefits and maybe like the life-changing benefits of having an assistant firsthand at, during my time at G2 and at Shopify where I had executive assistants. Eli, did you ever work with an executive assistant? I love doing my own stuff. Like I love booking my own meetings and booking my own trips. So I've used, like I've hired people for specific tasks, but I, I am a control freak when it comes to controlling things. I don't even use Calendly. Like I hate the idea that like someone will just have my link and put a meeting on my calendar. Like I want to be the one to say, oh, I'm not available until like Q5. Here's my calendar link in Q5. You can schedule a meeting. <laughs> I feel like when you have an EA, then you're just like, why do you let that person go through the filter? And now I have to sit there for an hour and a half in this meeting. So 
I've never worked with an EA, but I've worked with a lot of different assistants to do very specific tasks. And the things that you're talking about, the pre and post production, we're looking on Upwork, but like, I'll bet there's a listener out there that wants, that knows what they're doing. Like, I'm a big believer in like, don't reinvent the wheel. Just find someone that does this over and over. Yes. If you listen to this and you're interested in a paid assistant position, uh, reach out to us. We're on the hunt right now. I've firsthand seen how life-changing a good assistant can be. Again, I was very lucky to have executive assistants at G2 and at Shopify who basically owned my calendar and my email. And I understand the fear of giving away some of the control to someone else. But if you set up the right systems, it can be an absolute game changer. So the way I use Calendly, by the way, and preface that, I also hate when people just send me the Calendly link. I, what I do is I ask people, do you prefer scheduling on my Calendly or should we find some time together? But uh, in Calendly, you can block specific times for when people can schedule. And I have those times blocked on my calendar. So I know that people can only block time on specific days and hours. And an executive assistant can do the exact same for you. So with my EAs, I developed a calendar system where I told him exactly what to schedule when, and it's been a huge game changer. Yeah, I just haven't found the right system. But yeah, my system of like deciding who I want to meet with where has never like overwhelmed me too much that I feel like I need help with. The other thing I do when it really comes down to like picking meetings is if I have someone that insists on meeting, say on a Monday morning, then I'll stack similar meetings that come in on that Monday morning. But by default, I may not have put those meetings on Monday. It's really like, being efficient with my time. I, this is the mornings are good for meetings, afternoons are good for quiet work. And that's how I schedule it. And I feel like that is hard to give to another person to say, oh, this person, this is an annoying kind of meeting. So let's make this an annoying kind of morning. Or this is a fun kind of day. Talking to the accountant, this is going to be just a blast. So I want to add all sorts of other fun meetings that day. But I would love to get to that point where I find that good assistant. And I'm glad you had that experience with it. But yeah, if there's anybody out there that has done pre and post production on podcasts, we love to talk to you so we don't have to go and figure this out ourselves and who's going to do a good job of it and be a good assistant for Kevin and I. Yes, I love it, Eli. Uh, with that being said, I think this is a wrap. Thank you all for tuning in. Again, uh, engage with us on Substack or on LinkedIn. Yep. And if you have any good ideas on how to you know, hack budgets, save money, look better in recessionary times, do share. And now it's your turn. Head over to contrarianmarketingpodcast.com and subscribe to the free weekly newsletter to get a summary of today's episode, key takeaways, and community content. And while you're there, go to today's episode and leave your opinion in the comments. We'll feature the best thoughts in the newsletter and on the podcast. Also, if you like today's episode, please feel free to leave five stars on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. As always, thanks so much for tuning in and here next week.